Like all of you, I'm on this journey. Only mine started 24 years, 12 weeks, five days, two hours, 36 minutes, and 14, 15, 16 seconds ago. This journey was not of my own choosing. It was set in motion by God himself long before my days came into being. And it's always been his plan to accomplish the unimaginable with me. 27, 28, 29. I've come so far, too far to turn back now. So no matter how hard this journey becomes, I will stay this course. I will not flinch, I will not blink, and I will not cower. There is no room for fear on this journey because I know my God is with me. And he's bigger than anything this world can throw my way. Circumstances and setbacks will not dictate this course. 42, 43, 44. Instead, I'm reaching out. I'm reaching up for all that my God has for me. 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. Hey, good morning. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, talking about hard times, which is fairly timely for what's uh, going on in many of our lives right now. And chances are either you're experiencing uh, some tough times or you know someone who is in the middle of hard times in their life. And we've been simply asking this question, how do those who call themselves followers of Christ deal with hard times differently than everybody else? What does it mean for you and I to navigate this moment with the confidence that God is with us? And how does that affect, how does that make this moment different for you and me than for those who don't have God as a part uh, of their lives? And what we've been doing the last uh, few weeks and continue to do is we've been peeking into the life of a guy by the name of Joseph, and we said, this, this is a perfect example. It, he is an unspeakably great uh, person to take a look at his life because the lows of Joseph's life, the things that he is going to struggle with, the things that happen to him in all likelihood are worse. The lows of the lows that he's going to experience are deeper than you and I will ever experience in the worst moments of our lives. And yet in the midst of unspeakably tough, he does unspeakably well. We then said that there, there's another chapter in the story, and, and, and not only are his lows lower than your and my lows, his highs are higher than your and my highs, that there's going to be a redeeming moment. Matter of fact, we're going to get there next week where God is going to take him from where he is to literally being the second in power, the, an influence in the most powerful country in the entire world. He's going to have at his disposal more finances, more opportunity, more influence than chances are any of us will ever have in our life. And in that moment, he will choose to serve God, to do what anybody who was him would do if God was with them. And then we said there's a third chapter. There's a moment where the people who have hurt him the most the ones who've betrayed him, who've stabbed him in the back, are, are going to get delivered into his hand. 
that he's going to have the opportunity to get even with them. He's going to have the power. He's going to have the opportunity. No one is going to be looking over his shoulder when it happens. As a matter of fact, he can argue in that moment, God gave them to me. And in that moment, Joseph is going to live as if God is with him. And so he said, you and I have an unbelievable opportunity to watch a guy who navigated this moment, hard times, in a remarkable, amazing way. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go with me uh, to Genesis chapter 39, where uh, his story is told. And if you're not familiar, it's the very front of your Bible is the book of Genesis chapter 39. And I just want to encourage you that uh, when we're together, you're going to want to bring your Bibles. You're going to want to make sure that the conversation we're having, the things we're saying together are really there in Scripture, and it's not just my opinion or something we're making up. So Genesis chapter 39, while you're going there, let me catch us up on what we've said so far. If you remember, uh, about three weeks ago when we first began uh, this series, uh, we came to a moment in Joseph's life that was deeply unfair. Uh, he'd been raised in a dysfunctional family. His brothers resented him deeply. Uh, one day, they decide to beat him up, throw him into a dried-up well. Uh, as they're sitting there having their lunch and thinking about how to kill him and then tell his father, a slave caravan comes down the road, and then the thought occurs, why don't we just sell our brother into slavery? And now all of a sudden, in the midst of unbelievable, unthinkable unfairness, Joseph finds himself going to a foreign land, to a foreign culture that he doesn't understand, standing on an auction block and wondering, I wonder how much I'll be sold for. I wonder what my new master will be like. And the remarkable part of the story is that Joseph, at 17, did what any 17-year-old would do in a moment like that, who'd been beat up by his brothers and thrown in a dried-up well and sold off into slavery into a foreign land and suddenly found his life filled with unfairness. He did what any 17-year-old would do, that knew that God was still in control. Two weeks ago, uh, in, in a moment when you would think, okay, all right, he, he's already faced pretty tough stuff, and, and now is the right time for God to maybe kind of honor him back because his life's been bad, but he's done the right thing, so it's God's turn. You, know, you, do, you do good, then God should do good back, and, and so now it's time for God to kind of redeem this for Joseph, and yet it, things actually get worse. Joseph gets put in a, in a no-win situation. Uh, his master, a guy by the name of Potiphar, has a wife who begins to decide that Joseph's pretty good-looking. And so he, she says to Joseph, Joseph, look, sleep with me. No one will ever know. And Joseph finds himself in a moment in which if he sleeps with her, then he will disappoint God and he'll betray the trust of his master. But if he doesn't, then he has to face the ire of, of a woman scorned. And, and so suddenly, for all of his faithfulness, Joseph finds himself in a moment of absolutely no win, in a moment of going, God, how, how, how is it that I've done my part and you seemingly haven't done yours? And we talked about how difficult it is in our lives to be faithful to God when it feels like he hasn't been faithful to us. And in that moment, 
Joseph simply did what any young man would do when they find themselves in a no-win situation in which it feels like God has disappointed and let me down, who believes that they belong to God and not to themselves. So we come to today. And what we're going to discover together today is that God never wastes pain. That, that there are moments in our life when you and I are clearly suffering, when, when you and I are taking the hard way. And, and we want to say, God, are you hearing any of my prayers? Do you see what's going on in my life? Why, why me and not them? And what we're going to discover together is that you and I have never shed a tear. You and I have never felt one ounce of discomfort that God did not have purpose and plan because you and I serve a God who does not waste the pain of his children. Here's what's happening. Joseph's done the right thing. He, he decides to run out of the room. Remember, we said he's probably under an awful lot of temptation, and he, and, and he just flees from Potiphar's wife. And in the midst of fleeing, he, he, he has to maneuver out of his coat because she's hanging on to him. She's frustrated enough. She's angry enough that, that he hasn't received her advances, that she takes his coat, lays it on the bed, and then she lays down next to the coat, waits for her husband Potiphar to come home. And when he comes home and walks into the bedroom, she says to him, guess what? Guess what that slave that you've given charge of this whole house that you think is so wonderful, guess what Joseph tried to do with me? And then we pick up the story. It's Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 19. Here's what it says. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners are confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Are you kidding me? Really? That's, that's, the, that's the story? I mean, I mean, did you guys, did you get verse 21? What, but while Joseph was there in the prison, prison, the Lord was with him. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point in my life, if I'm Joseph, I, here's what I'm saying, God, could you go be with somebody else for a while? Because I, mean, I, I don't know if you've caught it in the story yet or not, but every time something goes bad, every time the bottom falls out in Joseph's life, every time things turn for the worse, Scripture over and over and over and over and over again says, whoa, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. 
because the Lord is with him. It's almost as if Scripture is saying, well, no, 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 we haven't written the last chapter yet. We haven't gotten, it's, it's going to, the Lord is with him. But if I'm Joseph, I'm praying, God, could you please, please, please go be with someone else for a while? Could you go be with my brothers? In Jesus' name, amen. Could, could you go be with Potiphar's wife? Go be with someone else if this is what being with you means. And then, if that's not enough, are we ready? But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't want to know the prison warden. I mean, that's kindness? See, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if God was really, really kind, you don't know the warden. I mean, isn't that kind of like saying, and God granted me favor with my son's parole officer. The repossession man really liked me. My oncologist and I are just like that. See, here's what I'm thinking. Wait, 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 wait. If God is really with me, I don't know my oncologist. Ever felt that way? Sure you have. Sure I have. Because truth be told in this room today, if this story were happening to you and me, if, if the story of Joseph was my story or your story, we would have already thrown in the towel. We would have already said, God, if this is what it means to follow you, if this is, if this is what being faithful gets me, if this is what trusting you looks like, then you can just take this following God stuff and I'm done. I'm pretty sure I can do better than this on my own. See, reality is there's some of us in this room that that's been the journey. You, you started years ago following God, and all of a sudden you said, this isn't what I signed up for. I, I, I had no idea that following God, obeying Scripture, was going to be this hard. I had no idea my friends would treat me this way. I had no idea that I was going to have to live this way. And if this is what it means, if this is the cost associated with being a God follower, then forget it. And some of us have just now, we've, we've just kind of started to come back and, and we've begun to ask, well, you know, maybe, maybe I gave up a little too soon. Maybe I, maybe I threw in the towel on God a little bit quickly in my life and you're just now peeking back into the church. There's some of us in this room, truth be told, hard times are hitting you really hard right now. And if we were to look in your hand, that's a towel. And, and your prayer over the last 
little while has been, God, if you don't show up, if things don't change, if, if in the next couple days, then, then I'm just done being a God follower. I, I'm, if, if following you costs this deeply, is this confusing, and if you don't show up real quick, Which brings you and me to a really interesting question. Who gets to decide what's bad? No, no. In your life, who gets to decide what's bad in your life? I mean, is there any possible scenario, is there any viewpoint at which you can look at Joseph being in prison and say, hey, maybe that's good? Maybe that's exactly where Joseph needs to be. Because I don't know about you, but I, you go, that just looks bad for Joseph. Is it possible that there are moments that you and I jump to the conclusion that this has to be wrong and it has to be God forgetting and, and God's not answering prayer, is it possible in any scenario, in any way of thinking, that instead of it actually being bad, this may be God's best? Any of you watched Biggest Loser this year on TV? Okay, good, about six of us, so this will be a very meaningful illustration. Um, <laughs> I didn't watch the whole thing, but I, I kind of got hooked at the end uh, because they had these uh, people, and they lost unbelievable amounts of weight. I was, I was just absolutely stunned. And so they were getting kind of to the conclusion and the big way off and all that, and they went back and they kind of showed the journey of some of these people who'd lost huge amounts of weight. And uh, they showed this one young man, and they showed his first day with the trainer. And he got into the gym, and, and they were, he, his face was just red and flushed. You could see those clammy, cold sweats you get when your stomach is sick. And, and, and he actually became, you know, physically ill. And I, I won't burden you with the description of what that was, but he became physically ill. And when he was done being physically ill, the trainer looked at him and said, get back on the treadmill. And when, when he got done with that first initial workout, they interviewed him, and, and he, on the interview, said, that was the worst day of my life. That was, you ready? Bad. And I hope tomorrow's better. And anybody want to guess what tomorrow was for him? But, but here, but don't miss the moment. Now, as I'm watching the show, he's standing on the platform throwing his fist in the air because he has lost over a hundred pounds. And it began with what he initially called the worst day of his life. What he originally interpreted as being bad. And here's, here's how you and I usually get to bad. We get to bad if something's uncomfortable. See, we, we would like to say to God, God, look, I am more than happy to serve you from my couch. See, if I could simply be a remote control Christian, and if I can change the channel whenever it's something I don't like, then we're good. The, the other place that, that, that we land on bad is when God upsets the plan. 
See, you and I have already figured out we're going to have 2.5 kids and, and our gross salary is going to hit some certain range. And it's not that big. It's not something crazy. It's, it's you know, but, but God, as long as we can stick to the plan. But the moment, God, you get off plan, then that's bad. What does it mean to you that that young man's best day the beginning of his life forever being changed for the better, on first glance, he thought, was bad. So here's my question. In your life, who gets to decide bad? You or the trainer? The God of the universe who knows the program. Who for you gets to decide bad? And is it just, is there any scenario in which it's possible that Joseph being in jail is good? The story goes on in chapter 40, and Joseph finds himself there in jail, prospering in the kindness of God as the head jailer. And uh, after years... After years of being in jail, uh, two men uh, join him there in jail. One is the king's cupbearer, and apparently someday the king has gotten mad at his cupbearer and sent him off to jail. He didn't bear cups well that day. And uh, he's also sent his baker. Apparently his donuts were stale. So the cupbearer and the baker are in jail with Joseph. And uh, after they've been there a while, they strike up a relationship and a friendship. And, and on the same evening, apparently, they both have a dream. And they're sitting at breakfast with Joseph, and they say, you know, it was really weird. I couldn't sleep last night. I had this weird dream kept going over and over again. And Joseph says, well, tell me the dream. Because I have dreams sometimes, and sometimes I can interpret dreams. Tell me your dream. So the cupbearer starts first, and he says, well, let me tell you. And he tells him this dream. And Joseph said, that's a great dream. Let me tell you what it means. God is speaking. And and." In three days, you're going to be restored. The king's going to call for you. He's going to rescind his decision. You're going to be restored to the position of cupbearer for the king. It's a great moment in the story, and here's why. Because in the midst of this conversation with the cupbearer, you get the understanding that Joseph isn't sitting around saying, Que sera, sera. Let's grow tulips in the prison. It's all okay. Now, Joseph is struggling just like you and I would struggle in prison. Matter of fact, verse 14, here's what he says to the cupbearer who's about to get out of jail. But when all goes well with you, remember me, unlike someone else in my life who's not remembering real well right now. Remember me. And show me kindness, a different type of kindness than the kindness I'm getting shown right now. And mention me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Please, 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 please. Remember me. The baker hears the 
interpretation of the dream says, well, that was pretty cool. Well, let me tell you about my dream. And the baker tells his dream to Joseph, and Joseph says, hmm, little different. Uh, your dream means that in three days the king is going to cut your head off, and uh, birds of the air are going to come and uh, feast on your flesh. Now, it may not happen quite that way. That's just what I'm thinking, okay? So, you know. And lo and behold, in three days' time, cupbearer is restored to the king's court, the baker is beheaded, and the birds come and feed on the baker. And you ready? Chapter 40 ends this way. Chapter 40, verse 23. And the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Anybody want to guess what prayer Joseph begins every day with? Anybody want to take a stab at what he says when he's on his knees every night before he closes his eyes? Dear God, dear God, dear God, please, 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 just get me out of jail. That's all I'm asking. I mean, you think about it, that's not a big prayer, right? I mean, it, for, for the God of the universe, the one who tosses planets into their orbit, uh, for the God who raises dead people and makes them live again, who holds back the Ritz, I mean, that's not a big, that's a, that's a little prayer. Why wouldn't God answer that prayer? Joseph's done nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, he's been faithful on every occasion. Why wouldn't God answer that prayer? It's just a little prayer. And you've asked that question a thousand times. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord, please just let him say yes. Dear God, God, please, just, just let the interview go well. Dear God, dear God, dear God, please, please, could I just have the promotion? And in the grander scheme of things, I mean, that was a little prayer. I mean, surely God, God could have God answered that prayer and not even broken a sweat. And he was silent. Why would God not answer that prayer of a faithful servant? It's too small. It's too small. All through this series, you, you remember we've said over and over and over again as Joseph has faced struggle and hardship, we said, don't go to the end because what we know in the end is the Pharaoh is going to make Joseph number two in Egypt. Joseph's going to go from the jail to an unspeakable place of authority. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh's going to basically say, Joseph is in charge of the country. I'll be in my room if you need me. And we've said, don't, don't let your mind go there. Don't, don't do that because Joseph has no idea how this turns out. And when you and I face hard times, you and I will have no idea where God is taking this. But for one brief moment today, what if you and I walk up to the curtain, peek on through, and realize that Joseph's not in Egypt on accident 
that, that, that God brought him there. It may have come through his brothers, but this is the plan of God. That, that Joseph doesn't go through what he goes through in Potiphar's house. He's not sitting in jail by some big mistake. God is positioning him every step of the way for what he's about ready to do. Nothing's out of control. Nothing's. This is the plan. And Joseph's prayer is much smaller than the plan. Matter of fact, think about this. The most disappointing thing that God could do right now, the, the, the biggest letdown would be if the story went like this. And so God got him out of jail. Which then begs the question, I wonder how many times in your life and my life you and I have prayed prayers in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering, that were far, 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 far too small. That, that we in the midst of enduring pain and in the midst of moments that didn't add up and we couldn't figure out what God was possibly doing, we simply said, dear God, dear God, dear God, just get me out of jail. Just let the pain stop. In which God had to say, but... but you don't, get, you don't get where I was going. You don't, you don't get the amazing display of my power. You don't get the things I was getting ready to do with you just moments from now. And, and because you don't believe that I'm with you, and because you've lost confidence that I'm in control, and because in this moment you're pretty sure that you own your life and not me, I am never going to get you to the king's court. So I'll answer your little prayer. And I just wonder how often in your life and in my life, because we have failed to navigate tough times well, because we forget, failed to remember that God is with us, that you and I have prayed little prayers and God has said, do you get where I was going? <laughs> that the worst thing, the most disappointing thing in your life I could do is answer your little prayer. And I wonder how many of us sit in our seats today having had our little prayer answer. Dear God, dear God, dear God, get me out of prison now. Get me out of this marriage now. Get me out of this job now. I wonder how many times you and I have been little prayer Christians because hard times scared us. And here's what you and I have got to get this morning. And here's what we're going to say for the next few minutes. You and I serve a God who has never wasted our pain. That there is not one tear, there is not one moment of hurt, there's not one ache of your heart that happened by accident. And God has not lost control, and he has not left your side. And the prayers that don't seem to be answered is because there's a bigger and a better So what does it mean? What does it mean that we serve a God who does not waste our pain? And, and three, three reasons why God allows pain in the life of his children. You ready? Here we're going to do, real quick. Three reasons God allows pain in the life of his children. Number one, discipline. See, sometimes God allows pain in your own my life because we're not living our lives very well. And God is simply applying the hand of his instruction to the seat of your understanding. Okay? It's just a good old-fashioned whooping. 
And God's saying, look, 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 look. I love you. You're my child, and I'm not going to let you behave that way. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says, everyone that God loves, he spanks. And, and you know what confuses us sometimes is that sometimes God spanks us in a different area of our life than where we offended, which is called good parenting. See, the truth be told, there's, you do exactly that same thing with your children. You tell your child, hey, do some chores, and they kick around and they don't do it. And, and you go, okay, what do I do? Do I double their chores? But if I double their chores, I know they're going to spend the three hours doing their chores cursing me, cursing their mom. Or do I strategically get them where it hurts? I'll take their cell phone. And you get that God, you may say, well, Lynn, Lynn, I was disobeying God in my relationships, but my finances are what are falling apart. Well, yay, yay, yay. God knows you, and he's going to spank you wherever it gets your attention. And the first thing you and I have got to do when we face moments of pain is say, hey, whoa, whoa, have I had a place of disobedience? Have I done something in my life? Is this a spanking? And if it is, the best thing you can do is go, God, I get it. I'm done. I'll stop disobeying. It's called repentance. So the spanking can be over. Second reason God allows his children to experience pain, it's to teach. God will allow pain in your life and in my life to teach you and me things. You ready? That you and I would not have understood any other way except the pain. God says, no, no, this is such a big lesson. It's such a crucial lesson for you. And you wouldn't have gotten this lesson. It would have never landed in your life except the pain. And you would have missed this. There's a, there's a family in our church right now. It's a Aaron and Mandy Higginbotham. and great couple. Matter of fact, they're missionaries to ASU. And uh, they work with student-athletes up there. And just recently, six weeks ago, they had their first child, Zoe. And just as Zoe was born, something wasn't totally right. They ran some tests, and, and even that's a miracle because they ran some tests that they, they normally wouldn't have run. And uh, when it came back, they found out that, uh, that Zoe had uh, cancer um, on her... Adrenal gland, okay, on our adrenal gland. So the doctors came back and said, we can do this, we can, we can operate, we can, we can get this done for you. So here's this brand new baby, uh, a moment in a young couple's life that you would think by all means ought to be the happiest moment of their life, it ought to be the greatest moment of their life, their first child, and their first child's in surgery. A couple days old. Good news is the doctors come out of surgery and they come back and they go, got it, got it. There's no reason she shouldn't live a long Happy life, got it. Mandy takes Zoe home and begins to notice that her stomach's getting kind of distended and a little bloated, and so she begins to ask her friends and says, you know, I mean, is this normal? I'm a first-time mom. I don't, I don't know. And her friends are saying, yeah, don't worry. It's probably gas or something. And deep within Mandy's heart, there's something that just says, man, I don't know. And so she ends up taking little Zoe back to the doctor. And the doctor, again, you ready for this? Runs some tests that they wouldn't normally run. And they come back and they say, Zoe's got cancer on her liver. We're going to have to do chemo. Uh, 
So now I'm doing a hospital visit with a brand new mom, six-week-old baby in her arms. What do you say in a moment like that? And here's what I said to Mandy. I said, Mandy, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I hate the moment. But here's what I do know. You and I serve a God who does not waste pain. He's too smart to have made a mistake. And he loves you too much to have been cruel. Is it possible? Is it possible that God is using this as a teaching moment? Is it possible that God's plans for Zoe are so big, so amazing, that, that when that moment would have come later in her life and she would have announced to you, Mom, guess what God is doing with me? That moment would have terrified you. And is it possible that right now at the very beginning of her life, God is trying to teach you and trying to teach Aaron you are going to hold this little girl with open hands because all through her life you're going to be reminded that God gave her back to you twice and that she doesn't belong to you and she belongs to God. And so when she comes with God's future, it'll make sense because God's already taught you this lesson. It isn't possible that there's a little girl that God wants to grow up knowing the story that her life really isn't hers because God had to give her life back so that every day of her life she knows she belongs to God. Is it possible, Mandy, that God is teaching you in the midst of pain something that you would have never known or understood any other way? Because you and I we serve a God who does not waste the, cheer, the tears of his children. Third reason. Third reason that God allows pain in our lives. Glory. Glory. See, sometimes God is just setting the stage. Sometimes God is clearing back the fixture, so to speak, to say, look, 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 what I'm getting ready to do is so amazing, so big, and it will only shine brighter because it's couched in pain. John chapter 9, you, you probably know the story. Jesus is walking down the road one day with his disciples, and, and, and they come across a blind man, and his disciples, having a very infantile view of God, say, well, well God, or Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Because here's their theology. You do good things for God, then God has to do good things back. You do bad things to God, God does bad things back. So, 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 being blind is bad. Therefore, somebody must have done something bad to deserve for this man to be born blind. So, Jesus, who did the bad thing? Who sinned, this man or his parents? You remember Jesus' response? Nobody sinned. God simply knew that today you and I would be walking down this road and we would meet this blind man and that on this day I would heal him and you would know that I was the Son of God. See, sometimes, 
Sometimes God asks you and I to suffer so that His glory is brighter because people who are far from God can't explain what just happened in their lives except the Son of God just showed up. Which brings you and me to a moment. What would anybody do? Who was you? Who was suffering through the marriage you're suffering through? Who was struggling with the finances that you're struggling with? Who had prayed as many times as you've prayed and not gotten an answer? What would anybody in the circumstances that you're in do? If they knew that their God doesn't waste pain. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment and we're, we're just going to be honest and tell you we've, we have, we've gotten fearful and we've, we've wondered why prayers weren't answered and we've gotten pretty angry about the pain. We, we've thought about throwing in the towel. And yet today we've, we've come to a moment and our hearts are changing and we're reconsidering what it means to endure and experience pain hand in hand with a God who doesn't waste pain. And so for some of us in this room, uh, we're pretty sure it's a spanking. That, that we know we've got areas of disobedience, and so this morning we're just, we're just done. We're just going to say, look, I'm, I'm done with the spanking. I'm, I'm going to turn away from that place of disobedience in my life, and God, you, you, can, you, can, you can put the paddle away. There are some of us in this room who, you're teaching. You're teaching us things that we never would learn without the pain. So we're simply saying, God, make our hearts soft. Make us receptive. We want to get this lesson really, really well so the pain can go away. Help us to be good students. Help us to be teachable. God, there's some of us in this room who you've called to your glory. You've asked us to navigate some really tough waters so that people who are far from you and people who can't understand you and people who are confused by you would suddenly see you in us. You've asked us to bear so that your glory would be brighter. And we simply bow the knee and say, God, do whatever it takes for you to be famous, even pain. Because we know that we serve a God who doesn't waste the pain of his children. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.